everyone. We're back on our podcast, Gray Area, today. Today, we have a super special topic, which is the psychology of veganism, a special talk with a special person, a psychology major, my twin sister, Nikisa Kendall. Um, I'd like to ask you, Nikisa, to introduce yourself to our viewers and our audience and tell us what you study, what's your interest in the psychology of veganism, and why you think it's important for us to discuss here. So, hi guys, I'm Nikisa, as you heard, Nadia's twin sister. I study a bachelor's in psychology at the Open University, which is an online distance learning university. So I live here in Luxembourg, which is in between France, Belgium, and Germany. So a very small place where veganism is not really a thing. And for that reason, as a psychology major, it makes learning and talking about veganism very interesting to understand the different factors that play into becoming vegan and why others are not vegan. Thank you for introducing yourself. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I also found this was a super important topic to discuss here because there's actually a lack of contemporary studies regarding veganism in the academic field of psychology and other academic fields like sociology, etc. And this is merely just an application of several classical theories or concepts that we can find to help us understand how we live as vegans, our vegan lifestyle, how people stay vegan, why people come to veganism. We're going to try and delve into this a little bit and understand it and hopefully give you guys some educational insights. Yeah. So let's get straight into it. So basically, one of the first things we can talk about in the psychology of veganism is how we become vegan and how it is to be vegan. And one of the first things that several people start being vegan through is watching, unfortunately, violent videos such as slaughterhouse footage or dairy farm footage. Um, you know how it goes. I don't have to explain it. But um, these are very sad, um, violent videos to watch. And several people have come across these videos on YouTube or documentaries, etc. And from then on, they just switched because they really felt that these images went against their core values at heart and they couldn't find themselves continuing to, to contribute to such atrocities. However, um, repeating yourself, repeated exposure to these, this violence and trauma could have long lasting effects, even though you're not viewing a human be, um, being exposed to violence. Polly, have you ever watched these violent videos or exposed yourself to these and felt um, repeatedly sad or even like traumatic feelings in a sense because of this? The thing is that I watched a few YouTube videos before I became vegan. And of course it mentioned and showed a few uh, slaughterhouse footages. And that was like my first exposure. And then I started eating plant-based and I was on the way to become vegan. Uh, but I watched Earthlings like half a year into my vegan journey. And I, then I really became an ethical vegan, I would say. The thing is that I think I'm a very like different uh, case because I can distance myself when I'm watching these videos. I can like make a switch in my mind and kind of lie to myself that this is not really happening in the sense that I'm watching it, I know it's real and I feel so much sadness and anger. Then I just turn it off in my head and then I can distance myself and not feel so much anger and sadness. But I know that many people can do it and are traumatized by it. Now, I don't watch it on a daily basis, of course, but sometimes when I watch a documentary about animals and the ethics of veganism uh, with my friends or family members, I watch it and it's uncomfortable, but again, like it doesn't hurt me that much. Also, when I feel like I'm getting too comfortable with uh, my activism and not being as active, sometimes I watch it to just get the motivation and like the passion again. And one thing that I would say is that, I don't know if you noticed the new commercial of PETA on YouTube, but every time I want to watch like just entertaining video, I get the PETA commercial and they show the footage of animals being tortured and killed. And that freaking disgusts me because it's not my choice to turn it on and see it. And as a vegan, I really don't appreciate seeing that just like that. So that makes me a bit uncomfortable. So thank you for sharing um, your experience with these kinds of videos. And I feel like there's people who can relate to you. You're not the odd one out. Um, switching it off, distancing yourself, as you call it, can definitely be a coping mechanism um, to learn how to deal with, to help yourself deal with 
the the violence you just saw through your screen. And I think one of the reasons why it's also easier to watch it through the screen is because you know, in deep down in your brain, it's through a screen. You're not really there feeling it. And I think that's why YouTubers, for example, or several like um, famous vegan activists have claimed that their mental health declined after being exposed to slaughterhouse violence in person. That the repeated exposure to being in those farms and those um, slaughterhouses really took a toll on them. They're witnessing firsthand violence and the repeated exposure to that can really take a toll on an activist's brain. Nikisa, what is your opinion on this kind of repeated exposure? I think in terms of repeated exposure, that comes with a big trauma factor. Whether you are there or not, there are many different types of trauma and visualizing and being there, whether it's physically there or just watching it. And as Polly said before, sometimes like just these interjections on as ads just popping up of like animals being slaughtered. I personally find it's a wrong way to go about it as we, we have to make a choice whether we want to see something. Those things are really there, but some people can't handle that trauma and can really negatively impact someone's mental health because death, whether human or not, experiencing it, whether you are a meat eater or not, death in general can be traumatizing and is traumatizing, whether you acknowledge it as trauma in the moment or not. Um, I find that, of course, that can motivate people, as Polly said as well, I think that's a very good point, it can motivate people to want to change as a person or to, to inspire yourself. However, again, everyone is different. Some people haven't, haven't learned to, to create that switch for themselves. And I think trauma itself, you can't change whether you're traumatized or not. It's just the way in which you perceive that trauma and what you do with it. So yes, in psychological terms, I'd say that at the end of the day, these videos are fantastic and informative, but these have negative impacts for the future and the people that watch them. And I feel like with more common traumas, you get reminded of that trauma when you see the trigger. So for example, if you put a piece of meat in front of you or in front of somebody else, some activists have also reported that that gives them flashes of what they've just seen, like let's say a month or a week ago, whatever time frame it was, that that can make them feel upset or triggered or experience the trauma that they've just, they've just witnessed this horrific scene. And that same scene that they've just seen, like, you know, been there and they've been there physically, someone else like their friend or their family is, you know, consuming it. And this kind of dynamic can be very tricky and, and difficult, especially in social situations. And that comes to how we as vegans live our lives in a social context. Feelings of exclusion when going vegan can, can, can produce so much um, you know, emotional strain and, and struggle that maybe others don't experience. What is your opinion on this? I would like to add one more thing to, to the trauma thing because I realized that sometimes, for instance, when we discuss the placement of vegan products in a supermarket, that I look at it in a pragmatic way that let's put it in between the meat products so a meat eater can actually be exposed to vegan products and take that product. And if it's only in the vegan section, the meat eater won't probably go there. And when vegans are against that, that they don't want to see meat products, sometimes I think like you're not the victim, the animals are, so like just get over yourself. But when we're discussing the trauma now, like I think I understand it better and better that uh, like it's a real thing that like just because I don't have the issue doesn't mean that other vegans don't. So it offers a bit more explanation. That's, that's a really good point. I feel like all of us listening, everyone tuning in can take a lesson from this because sometimes as, as activists or just vegans in general, we, we're just like, you know, get over it. Like, you're not the one who's being harmed here. They are, you know, like, but there's so much more to this that Nikisa highlighted that we don't think about when we're so angry and annoyed with people. <laughs> so it's definitely important to remind ourselves of this. So back to the point about social context, how, how do you think how do you think this impacts our, our social lives? Because we, we go vegan to better our lives, to better the environment, to better the lives of animals, and in turn can make us feel good and, and boost our confidence and you know all that kind of stuff. But if you can't have friends, if you feel like you can't be in social context, if you can't you know have a normal family relationship, you can't have family dinners perhaps, you refuse your grandma's cake, what are the implications of this kind of social struggle 
I think it depends on how you go about it because of course it also depends on the kind of friends that you have around yourself but also on your actions and behavior for instance if I would say like from now on I will not be eating with people who are eating meat and other animal products then of course you're excluding yourself if you take another approach and your friends are still not understanding veganism and don't want to accept you that's also a problem that you cannot really influence I myself I consider myself like really really lucky because I lived in a big city with a big vegan community so when I became vegan I became part of many organizations and I met new vegans so I just like my circle of friends just extended and my friends who were not vegan were really understanding and I have like a group of six friends and we were classmates and every time some of us had birthday the cake was for instance always vegan so everyone can have the cake the that group is now like there are five vegans one vegetarian and one meat eater so <laughs> it also like the the <laughs> my friends also changed with me uh so i think that i was lucky but i also know of people who really struggle with that and are excluded and sometimes it's not their fault but sometimes it also is i would say that's a really good point that you that you make and i'd like to to ask nikisa what she thinks about for example anxiety that might arise from these social social contexts so refusing you know your parents food or your friends food or your grandmother's cake like i said that can really put give you moral strain you know what's right but you don't want to be rude. That kind of anxiety on a daily basis can, can, really, can really make you struggle. What do you think about that, Nikisa? Well, this for me is a, a really plain example of moral strain that Milgram presents to us in his, in his studies in the 1960s is when this morally, the concept of moral strain is really, you want to do something, you feel like you should do something, but then this other idea comes in your mind and strains your morality principles. And this, I experienced this almost nearly every single day where I don't, I feel really bad to refuse food because I'm like, oh wow, they put their work into this. They, they made an effort to present this beautiful meal for me. And then I go, yeah, no, I'm not gonna eat it because I'm vegan. And I'm, I feel so bad about that. And every day that anxiety pops up in my mind. Some people don't have that, but I do because I've on one hand care about people's feelings, but I care about the animal's feelings too. Which one is more important? Which one can you abide by? It's constant, constant problems. And it's the same with friends, family. I mean, for me, it's, if you have, if you surround yourself with caring friends, most likely they won't force you to eat things that you don't want to eat, of course. Whilst in a family situation, it's like, you've been eating these things with your family your entire life. And then all of a sudden the next day on Christmas, you're like, yeah, no, I'm not eating. It's like, what? <laughs> so of course it's, it's absolutely understandable for anyone who would experience this moral strain. It's completely fair enough because at the end of the day, you don't want to offend anybody and you also at the same time want to abide by your morality. And this is the question for everyone. I still to this day don't know what the best way to go about it is, but at the end of the day, one is a choice. This is a choice at the end of the day. You, you've, you've decided to, to be ethical and moral and be to, to care about the animals and if, you're, if you can explain that to your family members and create a support system, that can really help to take that strain off of you. Even if they are upset that you're not eating, just taking that burden off your chest, okay, I've told them, they know why, and that can create a supportive system for you and that anxiety can be relieved and you can just kind of have a clear state of mind, okay, everyone is on the same page, anxiety's been lifted. <laughs> I would like to ask a question like do you think that if uh, a person decides to like eat the food that is offered to them that because I, I can imagine that some vegans would go crazy about it like oh my god you ate something non-vegan just because of your family how would you how would you approach that yeah that's a tough one because I myself in my beginning days of transitioning after Nadia <laughs> into veganism i thought to myself yeah i can't i can't disappoint my family that's something i always had in my mind i what i wasn't there yet to be able to say no 
and I myself ate food that's, for example, perhaps not exactly the meat itself, but let's say there's meat in a stew, I'll take the stew but not the meat or something like that. That already on its own at the beginning was fine for me, but now I'm like, I feel so bad that even the meat was touching that water, for example, you know? And it's slowly, slowly coming to me now. And I, I think even now for people who are transitioning to veganism, again, we can't, these are all steps every single one of us have taken. So I think it isn't upon us to judge those that are still learning and still navigating veganism. Um, at the end of the day, you're trying, you tried your best and you still are. And every step you've made till this moment is one step closer to a better environment. That's a really positive message that I really want to reinforce. That's our, yeah, that's our biggest motto here that just be compassionate to yourself and to everyone else. And only by doing that, can you make the right choices for the animals, the environment, so on and so forth. So thank you for, for emphasizing that kind of point. So this leads us to our next idea in the vegan lifestyle, which is why people don't actually become vegan and why do people find it hard to transition? And we can use several psychological theories and concepts to help us understand why it's difficult for some and not for others. You've probably heard of the, co the concept cognitive dissonance. Several vegan activists have used this to help us understand why people find it difficult to become vegan. And this was coined by Fessinger in 1957, and Akisa will help us understand more clearly what it is and how it plays a role in the vegan context. So cognitive dissonance, as Nadia said, was coined in 1957. And this is a concept that was very, very much a coping mechanism in my eyes to be able to separate yourself from what is happening with this meat and being able to relieve yourself of that moral strain. That essentially is wanting to be able to align your, your behaviors and your attitudes to what you think you want to be. And it essentially becomes this this lack of harmony between these two values and you try and like make yourself think that you're doing the right thing and this essentially is the same as what i discussed before is you know you want to be able to please others but you don't want to at the same time so you do it just to relieve yourself of this moral strain and um this all comes down to being a again a coping mechanism we do this to ourselves constantly every day and i think this phenomena happens not only even vegans, but also meat eaters as well, to be able to continue what they're doing without feeling that strain, which it's completely understandable that someone would feel anxious or moral strain through these things. So cognitive dissonance helps that. That's a really good point. And I feel like we as vegans and as non-vegans can spot this out in our behavior. We often try our best to, to justify our actions to such an extent to make sure you know no no i i know for a fact that that's totally fine because deep down in your brain you know it may not be and you possibly can't you know live with the fact that they don't they're not in harmony your attitudes and behaviors and what you tell yourself so a really good example of this kind of phenomenon is in milgram's study 1965 like you explained nikisa whereby they conducted a study to understand how far someone would do something they would otherwise not do and they use a machine in this study to to aid humans to fake shock other humans if you want to check that out please check it out super interesting and very unethical but go take a look at it in your own time um yeah so they use this machine and this machine is the barrier between your morality and the act that is being committed. And this is very relevant, for example, with packaged mints. That packaging, that plastic wrap, the styrofoam that the mints is sitting in there, is that barrier between your morality and the act that was committed for you to be able to consume it. It's, it's, that, it's what you use to convince yourself, I didn't do it, well, it's not, it's fine, we've been doing it for so long. The package is what, what saves you in this argument. It's that barrier, it's that machine that they use to shock the other person in the study because they're not going there themselves and shocking the other person. It's a machine that does it for them. And this kind of dissonance is really what aids us to stay in non-veganism per se. I think it's uh, that's the reason why many vegans promote uh, the challenges, like become a vegan for 21 days because the behavior is so difficult to change and even though your attitude says like okay eating animals is weird it's wrong the behavior is so difficult to change that you start to 
tell yourself like, oh, maybe it's necessary to eat animals. Or maybe it's not so bad if I buy eggs from, uh, not the supermarket, but from somebody else, whatever. Uh, and that's why the vegans, uh, some vegan activists promote the challenges because once you change your behavior, then it can match the attitude and then it's easier for you to make the proper transition. That's why I don't understand some, why some vegans are against these challenges. They say like, oh, veganism, it's a, it's a lifestyle, not a challenge. And and I think it's so important to discuss also the psychology and uh, and how we can take pragmatic approach to vegan activism because we cannot just ignore the human nature and human psychology. So it's I think it's great that we're discussing it. To add to that, I think that in my opinion, it's it's baby steps really a challenge really is the first step and it's a fun way to it's like token economy that we have in psychology it's like you get these little steps you get a stamp for every time you do something nice and one day those stamps will create a lifestyle per se so you do a challenge once and you do a challenge twice and then at some point that challenge becomes easier and it aligns with what you want to be and you feel good about it you had 21 days and you mastered this challenge and you able to to make the environment a little bit better and save animals for 21 days. This is an, a baby step way in, in a form of which some, I find that people, by seeing things in baby steps, it becomes easier. Whilst going cold turkey, as we call it, overnight, <laughs> that doesn't always work for people, which is funny, I say cold turkey, but it's completely off veganism. <laughs> but yeah. I would like to ask you, what do you think about, um like vegans going back to eating meat and animal products, like the cognitive dissonance is like they have to change their behavior back to eating meat, even though their attitude says that it's wrong. So how, do you know how it works? Like how are they able to change also the attitude that suddenly it's all right to eat animals again? So in my opinion, I think that I honestly, this could be very controversial, but at the end of the day, if you change your values to something that is so strong and you go back a step to something that was com the complete polar opposite, there was clearly your values weren't as strong either. First point is maybe they weren't as strong as they were and you thought they were. That's number one. Number two, you are easily influenced. That's number two. Number three, society, societal norms got the best of you. And that goes in with the concept of basically being to complying to societal norms and ending up going with things that other people are doing. And at the end of the day, people do that every day, of course. We follow trends, we follow different kind of challenges and things like that. And if you end up doing those three things, then I think your values might not have, again, might not have been strong as they should have been. I, I heard something interesting that the ex-vegans who have like health problems and then they eat one egg and suddenly everything is perfect that it might be because they feel so much stress and anxiety that we already mentioned it from being excluded from being the odd one out that once they go back to what is considered normal in our society and that's eating animals that they suddenly feel such a relief that the stress goes away suddenly they're normal as other people and then it also has impact on their their health because the stress suddenly left. I think you might have heard that from Mike the vegan because I think I heard the same argument in one of Mike the vegan's videos, a, a, an analysis on an ex-vegan, and he said that uh, the the YouTuber in question, whoever was the ex-vegan, she relieved herself of all this built-up anxiety of not conforming to society's norms, etc. That she finally was like. Oh, mm -hmm. finally like it's not that she enjoys eating eggs or fish or whatever I mean we don't care if she does or not but perhaps it's simply the fact that she's no longer battling herself every day to, to to conform and I feel like the concept of conformity is also such a you know it plays a significant role in the understanding of becoming vegan and going back to not being vegan for example, in conformity, in some of the conformity studies that were conducted, for example, in Festinger 1954, they also found that, for example, um, that you you look to other people to confirm your own values. So, 
you conform to the societal norm. So you look over your shoulder and you see, oh, Polly's also, you know, she's also eating an egg or it's chill, whatever. I'm also going to eat it. You use the other, per- <laughs> you use the other person to, to, to validate yourself. And okay, so what I'm doing is absolutely fine. And, and you relieve yourself that way. That anxiety is a bit lifted off your shoulders. Okay, if Polly's doing it, it's fine. It can't be that bad. You know, it's the kind of thing you do in class. Oh, if Polly got an F, it's chill that I got an F too. <laughs> you know? So what do you think about this, Nikisa? I really think this is as simple as what I learned since I was about five years old. If your friend's jumping off a cliff and he tells you do it too, do you do it as well? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. What do you jump yourself to, to your death? You don't want to do that. And at the end of the day, I think you have to decide for yourself what's right for you. And conformity can be very good in some cases, to be fair. Like you want to, I don't know, follow in the footsteps of other vegans, for example. If that becomes a trend one day, thank God, then that would be great. But, you know, we also still have to decide for ourselves what are the things we want to do for ourselves. And conformity is almost a way of luring people in. It can also be even a marketing scheme, if you think about it, is that this is the trend. Everyone come to this side and you conform to that because that's easier than being the odd one and the black sheep in the in the crew. So... And I feel like it's also important understanding because meat has been recommended and eaten for so many years through the food pyramid and, and doctors and nutritionists and so many, you know, white coat individuals in our society have told us that meat is 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 what we should be eating, that even though we we might not need to, we do so otherwise. It's that concept of you do something you otherwise wouldn't need to do. I don't need to eat meat because everyone, but because everyone else is eating, because Polly is eating an egg, oh, then it's chill. It can't be that bad. You know, I follow the same line of thinking, even though I know I don't need to, but because everyone else is doing it, I displace that responsibility to, to society. But we've been doing it for so long. This is displacement of responsibility is also another really important concept in psychology to understand these kinds of phenomenons. You also mentioned something with white coats, and I think that is exactly the, one of the major problems that we experience, and that again happened and was presented in Milgram's study. Um, basically, as soon as someone with a lab coat or someone of authority comes in and tells us that something is okay, we immediately submiss to this this authority figure because they know better than we do of course because as soon as there's that lab coat as soon as there's a doctor in front of their name you you decide you you of course because that has been around for years and years that they have the education to tell us what's right and i think now with studies information articles i think we might be smarter than we think we are And I think that would be enough for us to decide what is right. And of course, there is a demand for vegan informed doctors to be able, at least they don't have to be vegan themselves, but vegan informed doctors to be able to lead us onto a path of healthy eating, healthy bodies and lives, but using veganism as well. And that's something why veganism isn't there yet, in my opinion, is that these white coats still haven't been able to jump on that bandwagon. And that takes time that really is purely due to the fact that humanity is so used to the people of authority telling us what to do, and they're not on the same level as we are yet in terms of information, due to the fact that the, the way they were educated was a complete different way in which we're learning now. Absolutely. You make a good point. There has to be an evolution in, 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 in the medical arena, the academic arena, and like we mentioned in the beginning, there's not even many studies on, on veganism in an academic sense. So academia must follow with us as the trend of eating and diet and lifestyle transforms as well. And as I play on words, another interesting um, discussion to have in this is the evolutionary approach. An evolutionary approach in psychology is also really important phenomenon to help us understand how for example some people might not be able to might not feel like they can go vegan for example nikisa highlighted to me earlier today that men in the time of you know evolution would have to be more aggressive or ruthless to feed families and to survive so they would they would they would um lean towards more high calorific foods to feed larger amounts of peoples these would be meat for example so this kind of evolutionary instinct inside of us could be 
you know, still ingrained in our essence today, even though we know we can just pick up, you know, soy mints by Vivera, right, Nikisa? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And that's something I really am passionate about is the fact that evolution has a great impact on the way we think today. However, evolution is, is over now <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. We don't have to kill a walrus to feed our family, you know, and at the end of the day, as you said, we can go to the grocery store and we can buy our food. However, people, you know, humans back then, it was easier to just kill a whole animal and feed hundreds and to get the amount of protein they needed to be a man and to be humanity than to go around searching for fruits and berries and vegetables that one, A, could be poisonous and B, may not be enough, you know, may not fill us up for, for months or days or whatever. You need to, that, that factor is still ingrained in us for sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make. So would you feel, would you say that perhaps choosing a plant-based meat, quote unquote, over animal-based meat is a process of conditioning and research and learning and unlearning behaviors that have been ingrained in us for so long, like you say, because we actually might have to teach ourselves out of this evolutionary instinct. I believe that one of the, the problems are, is that we are not educated, well, you know, us as vegans, of course, we will know what's right, what's wrong, what are the things that are calorific, et cetera, et cetera, what has most protein, whilst people who are not don't know anything or may not know enough about the nutritional value of the substitutes we have. So what may actually help is to have very clear, obvious research or in the supermarket, okay, this has the same amount of protein as a steak right next to it. That might actually help. And sometimes, well, actually most of the time, some of the vegan substitutes you can even buy at Aldi are much cheaper than a steak. Of course, a steak's quite expensive. So if you get the same amount of protein, same amount of calories, or even less calories for people who want to lose weight, for example, that might entice people to do things. It's all about education. And once you're educated, you can condition yourself to be able to change that habit. Conditioning is all about learning. It's all about understanding. And once you, you know what you're doing, conditioning is so much easier than blindly conditioning yourself to do something you don't know about. So our next point, which is super interesting in my opinion, is the psychology of consumerism. This is obviously really relevant in all contexts, not just a vegan context, but especially in veganism, because we see that companies and marketing companies, etc., will package meat and products very carefully because they want to make sure you eat it and you don't feel bad about eating it because if you don't feel bad about eating it you can keep eating it <laughs> in other words so this kind of phenomenon the way that they do this is is designed in a way for you to be as i've heard several times in activism willfully ignorant it's on purpose to make you ignorant about the reasons why you shouldn't eat meat so that you can continue eating meat, promoting these companies, these huge farm giants, etc., and yeah, co continue contributing to these atrocities. What is your opinion about this kind of marketing and communication of the consumption of meat in in grocery stores and and everywhere, Polly? <laughs> well, I think it's quite understandable because if you're owner of a business that sells meat you won't say like hey by the way we tortured it as the animal but buy our product because you know it's tasty so i think it's understandable that they try to you know put happy cows and happy chickens on their product but of course it makes me frustrated because i know the animals are not happy in the industry i don't know if you heard about ben and jerry's somebody sued them because of the depiction of the happy cow on their products and they had to actually change it and now the cow doesn't look as happy or something i don't know <laughs> but they they were they were not forced to change it but before the lawsuit actually came through they decided to change it before that so i think that there's like a room for vegan activists to kind of uh make the change in these businesses uh I wouldn't really blame uh, non-vegans to like that they believe this marketing strategy because it's made by smart people and they know what they're doing and it, of course people believe that. But what I would say that I think vegan marketing, like marketing of vegan products, can also use some uh, 
strategies of psychology and the, the even the theories that we discussed to you know be a great competitor to a non-vegan product and what is your opinion on using words like free range grass-fed all of these types of terminologies that you know they use to market products so you feel in, in other words very bluntly better about it what is what is your take on this well again like i understand that it's like these kind of words they sound better people feel better about their purchase and many people don't know that actually factory farming is better for the environment than free range they feel good about their ethical choice like oh this meat is free range but it causes more environmental damage and they just don't connect the points so it, actually the free range makes me very frustrated <laughs> Uh, mainly when people use it, buy, but I buy free range and then they go to a restaurant and they don't care where the meat comes from. So again, like I understand why they use these terms. I think it's very sad that people believe that. Again, I don't blame them, uh, but I don't actually know whether that will change. Like we have to push on the information, on the education of the consumers and maybe once sue the company and they will have to change uh, the depiction of animals they have on the products i don't know so linking to that which your points were quite interesting is that um the marketing of actual vegan products is, is very very fascinating for me because it's like they pack it vegan soya mints for example as if it's to look like beef mints for example like the brand uh, beyond has vegan mints that looks exactly like a slab of beef mints because that actually attracts people to want to buy it, which for me is quite interesting. It's like, oh, it's exactly what mince would look like if it was actual meat, for example. So people are like, oh, that looks like it'll taste yummy. Or patties, for example, if it's juicy like real meat would be, then people are inclined to buy it, which is kind of strange when you think about it, because we want to stop eating meat, but we want it to look exactly the same. I mean, some vegans don't. For example, me, I'm, I'm quite a person that likes salads and loads of natural foods. But there are people, <laughs> there are people who prefer to actually buy something that looks like you cut it open, it oozes out or something like that. Then that, I think it's, it's purely because it, it's something you're used to mm -hmm. and it feels, it feels normal that way. And I think it's super easy to, to then be an activist and say like, Hey, just don't buy this burger, but buy the one that looks exactly the same. It's just like less uh environmentally damaging and it's ethical you know and if it would be hey don't buy this steak that looks in i don't i don't personally like steaks but like some people really really find them delicious and tell them like no just eat this chickpea uh, weirdly looking uh alternative to burger of course it would make it difficult so i'm actually very grateful that we are making vegan products look like animal products because then the only thing that you have to uh make the transition to is just buy the exact same product but that just doesn't come from an animal you don't have to really uh give up on anything else you know absolutely yeah i i totally agree i feel like it's it makes it so much easier for for you to to, to launch at things that are comforting you already know this kind of food you already know these kinds of taste flavors textures it's going to be easier for you to transition. I think it's really important that we have these products on the market. It's a really well, job well done. And I think that the people who criticize those kinds of things need to tone it down a little bit. Our, we all want the same thing. So, yeah. So what is, what is your opinion on, it's going to be a curveball, but what is your opinion on the marketing of, for example, putting labels warning labels on animal products because this is a way it's not a it's not a marketing tactic it's a way to steer people away but do you feel like there's a responsibility of, of, to the consumers to warn them about what they're consuming to deter them away from this kind of product and we see this kind of marketing in cigarettes there's a big fat label on top with a disgusting image that makes you grossed out and maybe you don't want to smoke it should we do the same thing with meat do we have a responsibility to the consumers to warn them about this? And will it actually have more psychological harms than benefits? Give me your takes on that. I, I would start because I'm a smoker and I must say that I might see the label saying you will die from cigarettes and it has some kind of chemicals. I still smoke it. I just came, became used to that. So it doesn't do anything. 
<laughs> to me anymore. But I mean, like, what would you put on the meat product? You know, we also don't want to scare people like, oh my God, if you're going to eat this, you will die right away. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want, like, of course, animals are not food, but I wouldn't want people who are still eating animals to become afraid of eating certain stuff. You know what I mean? I would, what I would do is to put proper labels about the environmental damage on, on certain foods. And I would make a uh, labeling of vegan products uh, easier in the sense that when something is non-vegan, it should have like a clear label that, hey, this product is not vegan or it contains these animal products and that would make it easier, you know? So um, adding to that point, Polly, which was really interesting is that I think at the end of the day, like you said, many people still smoke cigarettes, even if there is a lung deteriorating on it, for example. I think at the end of the day, we can't expect people to, to not eat something or not smoke something. But however, I do think it is the duty of the company to, to warn people because essentially you are an actor of future deaths, unfortunately. And yes, there may not be enough research on it, but we have research say on smoking. So now we've been made to do that. The same is happening with meat. For example, red meat for ages now has been a pro like a question, a big question mark for us. Is red meat healthy? Does it have, is it possible that by eating enough red meat, will we start clogging our arteries with atherosclerosis? Yes or no? If so, it is the duty of the company to warn us that, whether it's pictures or not. I mean, I don't think, as a psychology perspective, I'd think it could be slightly traumatizing going one day in the supermarket and pick up the meat that you eat every single day and then there's a heart dying on it. I think that that will most likely cause stress, uh, distress, trauma, and things like that. However, writing something in bold print, for example, like they do that with allergies, for example, is a right allergens peanuts and milk for example they could do the same thing but with a health concern and i think with the environment i completely agree polly's point is they should put environmental factors but we say the same thing about cars cars can damage our environment people drive cars every single day unfortunately i find that people's environmental reasons they're questionable however if you tell someone that their heart is going to be affected maybe it'll change i'm not sure i really don't know the the thing is that i think with cars you don't have that many alternatives of course you can bike but when you want to go somewhere further away you like of course you can take a train but it's like such a convenient thing to mm. like drive somewhere with your car but with in the supermarket you have like two options and it's so much easier to make the more environmentally friendly choice with the health labels on products I, what I learned during my veganism and vegan years is the fact that nutrition is so, such a complex topic. There are more stuff we don't know than, than we know, and it changes constantly. And for instance, with cigarettes, you know it's harmful and there are no positive effects, of course, except like reducing stress, but it's like very harmful. With food, of course, it has some harmful effects, but it still has some nutri nutritional value. So I think it's more difficult to put these kind of labels on, on, on food, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like sometimes with health concerns, it's a bit tricky, especially when it comes to nutrition, because science changes every day. New results are coming out every day. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit risky to make a claim and then have to like remove all the labels tomorrow when a new genius tells us that actually red meat is great for us and it does something incredible and then we have to remove all the labels and recall everything and then apologize to the public it's a bit risky i think everyone should do their own research and try their best to do to yeah to educate themselves inform themselves i think like you said if there's an environmental you know statistic you can take this milk or this milk this one just so happens to be soy this one doesn't you know i'll take the soy one for example it's a simple choice that you can make in a supermarket as opposed to bigger life choices the milk in your fridge is something very simple in my opinion but these are all really interesting um interesting ideas that we're raising here because it, it really helps us really dig into like the minds of people when they go and buy a product and in this case a meat product versus a vegan product it's super interesting 
one of the last important points that we have to discuss today is the concept of empathy. Empathy is really fascinating in my opinion because sometimes in the vegan community we often say that you know not me personally but some people might say oh meat eaters they don't have any empathy they just they eat and they take what they want and they don't care and blah 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 you know they're horrible people if you eat meat then you're bad etc cetera, etc cetera. you've heard this kind of rhetoric you've understood this you might not agree with it i don't i think it's more complex than that but i find it fascinating and one of the points nikisa and i came up with was from the movie Okja. I'm not sure if you guys have watched it, but it's very it's a beautiful movie. I love it. And um, in this movie, one of the main takeaways is that the taste that one has, that you know, phenomenal taste that you get, can sometimes take precedent over the life of a living being, of an animal. And this we deem to be a sign of a, of lack of empathy. And we've seen in studies that Nakisa can perhaps. Um, give a small insight into is that this lack of empathy can can have implications for later in your life with other uh, with other issues. Can you please expand, Nikisa? Absolutely. I think that Milgram, again, one of my favorites <laughs> people in the psychological field, is actually someone that sh shed light on this topic. He did a study with. Um, humans and puppies the same study that he did with humans and humans where he presented a shock device to shock humans over time he did the same but shocking puppies so human to shock a puppy with women or men or etc and found that the women were less likely to shock the puppies and they were more compassionate compared to men this is a sign of empathy of course because why is why does the woman feel that they can't shock this puppy but the man's like yeah whatever i'm still gonna do it like that's a task they told me to do it i'll do it women same but less likely this is empathy at its very core and why at the end of the day that there are more female vegans than there are with men because that empathy factor comes into play and that might suggest to us from a psychological point of view that veganism, the factor to become veganism is empathy, or one of the factors is empathy. That's a really good point. And I think it is something to, to consider. But another point to consider, for example, is masculinity. Toxic masculinity may be one of the factors that play a role in why there are less male vegans. We found a statistic while researching that 24% of vegans reported to be males. I mean, that's a small percentage if you if you compare to the amount of women who identify as vegans so i feel like the the idea the evolutionary idea and the social construct that a man must eat meat to empower himself and take down the bad guys or whatever men tell themselves <laughs> i don't know what they tell themselves <laughs> um you know this kind of notion may also play a role in why even though they might know that they, they have empathy, that they feel empathy, that they can put themselves in the animal's shoes, that social construct kind of tingles at their brain a little bit and overrides overrides their empath empathy, if that makes sense. I think, again, that's one more factor that plays a role in why someone may or may not become vegan. It's super fascinating, in my opinion. I think that another interesting point for further research, of course, would be to rep I mean it would be absolutely unethical to replicate Milgram's studies. However, just maybe perhaps computerized simulation of the experiment, for example, something way more ethical crossing through the ethical boards where they might decide that it would be okay, would to replicate it with farm animals, animals that people eat on a daily basis, for example, instead of puppies, which is a domestic animal that we have been named as companions for for years use something that is less likely or less common to be a companion. Perhaps the um, empathy factor reduces after using a different animal, one that we would eat on a daily basis. I would be interested in knowing whether it's like biologically women have more empathy or if it comes from the way how we were raised. Because you know, as, as women, we are told like, oh, be nice, be, be like this, be like this. And men are told to be, you know, harsh and strong and do not show emotions that maybe if we just change the way how we raise kids in the number of vegans would be equal 
Perhaps, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic point, actually, is that at the end of the day, all of this is child rearing processes, for example, which we cannot at the end of the day criticize any child rearing process, of course, because at the end of the day, every parent works a different way. But if we educate parents and children and schools on a different level, especially on an institutional level, by educating teachers to educate their students, for example, on the differences between food and what type, where, where does food come from in the most ethical way possible and in terms of empathy as well, that might spark something in kids because it's that age in children as I'm actually as a psychology student and a babysitter, I know the difference and I've seen it in kids that they actually, they sometimes don't know the difference of what a chicken is, the meat and the actual chicken that walks around and the rooster or the duck that says quack quack or something they don't know the difference of it being on their plate and a walking animal that makes a very big difference so if education starts from the bottom from parents to school and they start educating their you know the people about that that might might make a big difference that's a really good point and i feel like we all know this children are not born with a lack of empathy we are all born in my opinion i'd like to think that way that we have a heart of gold when we're born and we just you know turn plants green like that and you know make animals follow us and love us and everything yeah. so uh, i absolutely think that we're not born with a lack of empathy and we're taught that like polly said i think this comes through not that your parents teach you to to be cold-hearted but that your parents um, and, and the society and the environment that you're raised in teaches you through a process of conditioning and learning and social norms that certain things are okay versus some, like the same thing is not okay in another context, you know? And I feel like that's the issue here because most people don't like hurting any living being. And I think that's where speciesism and discrimination comes to rise that some things are told uh, told to us that it, it is okay but the same thing in a, and just in another context is not okay and again it goes back to education it goes back to learning it goes back to to informing yourself and we're all compassionate i love to say this at the end of our episodes we're all compassionate i know we are we have a deep down and i think whatever way you need to come to find that whether it's the videos whether it's through your friends eating good vegan food from the supermarket choosing soy milk instead of you know dairy milk whatever your way is to go about it it's there somewhere and yeah that's okay and yeah thank you so much for this episode guys i'm really happy with how it went we have so many other points to discuss we can never talk all but if you guys want to see a similar episode again, a part two or something of the sort, please let us know. We love your comments. We love your questions. So yeah, thank you so much. Check us out on Instagram. Check Lakisa's Instagram out. She posts about psychology uh, topics. And yeah, thank you so much, guys. And peace out. Thanks.